0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio.
1: All right, you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Uh, Trade, obviously, one of our big stories on this Wednesday, understandably so. Phase one of the U.S.-China trade deal, it's done. Uh, we've got two great voices with us now to talk about this. David Riedel is President and Founder of Riedel Research Group. He joins us on the phone from San Francisco. Also here with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio right here in New York City, Stefan Selig. He's uh, Selig. He is Managing Partner at Bridge Park Advisors, former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, um, and uh, this was during the Obama administration. So, gentlemen, great to have you here with us. Stefan, I want to start with you. This trade deal, phase one, phase two, expected shortly I don't think we're necessarily expecting a phase three we'll have to wait and see what do you make of the news
2: well I'm not sure Carol I'd expect a phase two so fast either I mean it did take the better part of three years to get to where we are today and for sure um, there was some real progress and the administration deserves some real credit but mm-hmm. we haven't tackled what are the most difficult issues which are the structural issues with the Chinese economy uh, broad market access for foreign firms, including U.S. businesses, as well as the state support of local firms, in particular um, the SOEs, the state-owned enterprises. The so, subsidies that the government provides the subsidies, for its companies. Exactly. And, um, you know, as a result of that, um, you know, I, I kind of have a balanced view of what was announced today, which is real progress has been made, but there's still real work left to do. And so I would think of this more as a ceasefire than actually a real um, uh, ending of, of
3: the conflict. All right, so David Riedel, come on in here. Help us understand this from the Chinese perspective, because obviously we saw a lot of pomp and circumstance here uh, in the United States down in Washington today, a full room uh, with the president sort of name checking so, so many people as we went through uh, that whole process. But if you're over uh, in Beijing, Shanghai, how are you viewing this deal?
0: Well, it's a, it's a transaction more than a deal, right? They didn't have to give up anything structural or related to their industrial policy. So that's a big win for Beijing. Uh, they are required to make some additional purchases of U.S. goods and services, quite a substantial amount, in fact, uh, which will have a positive impact on the U.S. economy. There are also a couple of uh, areas where things opened up a little bit for financial services companies and things like that. But really, they didn't have to make any of the big structural changes, which they have no interest in making about their industrial policy and how they run their economy. So they got some relief on some tariffs that had been implemented. So sort of sort of causing a problem and then solving it, right? Which is is a is a transactional move for any negotiation. Um, and then gave a little bit of market access, uh, but it remains to be seen um, what the fundamental impact is on Chinese business.
1: I have to say David, I wonder how much of this was really kind of a political agreement versus really a better trade agreement and it feels like in some ways politics were much more at play not just on the part of the US certainly in an election year but also on the part of the Chinese who are facing, you know, some pressure at home to kind of, you know, get something done as well.
0: That's true. I would say that the, the political pressure is much more acute in the United States, where these taxes on American consumers in the form of tariffs, uh, we're really exacting a toll, a political a toll as well as an economic toll uh, here, at, here at home. I've always said that Chinese have virtually unlimited ability to absorb tariffs with their substantial reserves, their huge uh, control of major swaths of the economy, and a very uh, uh, populist that's willing to go along with nationalistic themes. Um, so I, I think the Chinese uh, will take this as a win. Um, they'll show some relief uh, for their their constituents without giving away the store, which is the way that they run their economy uh, and their industrial policy.
3: So, Stefan, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Steve Schwartzman earlier when he joined me from just outside the White House, having been in that room, which is if you're an investor, if you're running a company, does this deal transaction agreement, whatever we want to call it, Does it change your behavior in the near term and how?
2: Yeah, so I I think, Jason, the answer to that is a decided yes, um, because fundamentally what it does is reduces some of the uncertainty, it quells some of the fear, Um, it gets rid of this notion that there's gonna be further escalation Uh, And as a result of that, I think this will be good for the markets, good for investors, and good for businesses. But um, it is not going to get to some of the long-term aspects that are still going to weigh on the minds of uh, businesses going forward.
1: Stefan, do we need China like we used to need China? And does China need the U.S. like it used to need the the, the U.S.?
2: You know that's an, that's an interesting question, Carol. In the and historically, what has happened is we've become an integrated world, right. um, and supply chains have merged, and we've been moving in that direction. The question is now: Are we going to become a bipolar world in which there's going to be a Chinese access? axis and a U.S. axis, and companies are going to arrange supply chains and businesses around that notion clearly would be less efficient for the global economy right. and would cost U.S. and uh, Chinese companies real growth. And that re- really remains to be seen, which is, are we going to figure out a system in which our economy and their economy are going to be able to coexist
3: effectively and fairly over the long term? And there's no precedent for that, so we don't know. Yeah. So, David, I want to make sure that we get to, to one specific question with you, which is this is not just about the U.S. and China. We, you know, we talk a lot about these two nations, and yet there's another very powerful country. We got a reminder of that today with Vladimir Putin essentially rearranging his own government. Russia has a role in, in this drama as well. Tell us about that.
0: They really do, and it's interesting because after trade or maybe in front of trade, the, the the biggest flashpoint of U.S.-China relations is the South China Sea and this massive territory grab that China has made into the South China Sea through which a third of global trade travels, also tremendous uh, oil reserves and, and fisheries reserves and so on and so forth. This has been a great frustration to their neighbors like Vietnam and the Philippines and other places who have overlapping claims on some of those territories. Now, here comes Russia, who has been in military um, Uh, maneuvers and exercises with with China in recent years, but allowing for and encouraging oil exploration in these contested waters with joint ventures with uh, companies in uh, Vietnam and the Philippines. That's a fascinating way for uh, Russia to insert themselves into this region and really uh, becoming a, playing a role for those U.S. allies to uh, sort of needle China and push back on China's ter- territorial ambitions without going directly uh, into, the, into the arms of the U.S. So it's a, it's a fascinating development and one I think we're all going to need to keep an eye on because those three big powers contesting those, uh, those important waters of the South China Sea could really be a flashpoint in the next five or ten years, Jason.
2: But I would say that um, you know the Russian economy is still re- reasonably, s- relatively sure. small, yeah, and it's very focused on natural resources. And in terms of the commercial relationship, right. Russia isn't particularly relevant. The they are, as David said, from a stri- geopolitical yeah. strategic. Um, basis very relevant. But in
3: terms of really global trade flows, yeah. Russia is, the, you know, Europe is far more important. Stefan Seelig still with us, managing partner, Bridge Park Advisors here in New York City. Uh, so just, you know, before we get back into the trade deal, uh, I do want to ask you, you know, here on, you don't have to worry about <laughs> this. You can just put them down. Um, but I my
1: that's become my favorite moment of the day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> you know, you're also a deal-making
3: guy. You're a Wall Street guy. What's the mood on, on Wall Street right now? It's Bank Earnings Week.
2: Um, look, obviously, um, bank earnings, uh, including my former, former employer, Bank of America, today, were somewhat disappointing. Uh, yeah. Fixed income trading, obviously, uh, was a bright spot. Um, but uh, interest uh, margins have been coming down. I think overall, the U.S. economy is quite healthy. Yeah. And overall, it, that is the most important thing in terms of what is going to drive Uh, bank earnings um, going forward. And I think this conversation we're having about trade is clearly incrementally helpful for the reasons I've suggested, which is going to remove this cloak of uncertainty that has been over the economy. It's going to help at least drive some investment going forward by companies. And companies are going to be able to plan more effectively if they believe that this is going to be pushed to the side for the foreseeable future.
1: So one would expect that in terms of, you know, companies, their attitude being more upbeat, just got about 30 seconds here, we should expect to see more capital expenditures, right? Going out and doing things, whether it's buying plants, hiring more, or what have you.
2: Yes. And I guess the question is, Carol, is this going to be enough to really drive renewed foreign investment in the U.S.? Because this is not just a China story, right? We're still also fighting with Europe, for example, right. threatening a whole right. host of tariffs on cars and wine and a whole host of other things. And that is obviously going to give companies pause about further integrating supply chains. And it really comes back to your your question, which are companies going to be looking to be less globally integrated going forward at the expense of the global economy.
3: Stephen Selig, still with us, managing partner Bridge Park Advisors, also former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade at the U S department of commerce during the Obama administration. So here's the question I'm going to use your phrase back to you. Was the light worth the candle for all of this trade? Full credit to you. I did not make that up. That's your phrase. You should your phrase. seen the look. That <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure I could have coined that phrase, but I certainly <laughs> repurposed it. <laughs> um,
2: you know, look, I think, Jason, there were clearly some real costs to the U.S. economy. Um, there were costs to our treasury. There were costs to our businesses. There are costs to our consumers. There are costs to our workers. Um, uh, but we did make some progress. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to... Answer that question until we see if this presages a phase one and phase two, phase two or phase three deal. Mm -hmm. If the answer to that is yes, and this is a first step to a larger series of agreements that we're able to reach with China, I would say the answer, I would say affirmatively, that it was worth the pain um, uh, in our economy. Uh, If the answer to that is no, I probably would have concluded that there would have been a more effective way to come. Uh, to these, this conclusion than the way that uh, the administration um, uh, proceeded.
1: What with, did we, well, what do you think the administration did wrong?
2: Well, um, I'd say a couple of things, Carol. One is we did this unilaterally and didn't approach China with our friends and allies, which would have given us a much more effective bargaining position. Two is this focus on tariffs, I think, was misguided. Um, uh, I think the president believes that tariffs are paid Uh, were paid by China. I think the the, um, economists have been pretty clear that that has not been uh, the case. And I think thirdly, perhaps most importantly, is this focus on our bilateral trade deficit as being the right metric to focus on in terms of our trade relationship. And I think economists have also been clear that bilateral trade deficits are not the result of trade policy, but they are the result of consumption, savings, right. exchange rates. And to some degree, these purchases, the $200 billion of purchases which China has been committed to, are going to also come out of purchases by others. And it is not incremental. It is not a um, zero-sum zero game, unfortunately.
3: And so I guess as we look around the world, we think about Europe there, we think about USMCA. Carol likes to call it USMCA, but it's an unfortunate acronym. You obviously have no Marines in your family. (laughs) (laughs) So what uh,
1: Navy, but not Where else
3: do we need to be worried about trade in the world from a US perspective? Or what's the number one place that we should be thinking about? Well, it would have to be Europe, right?
2: Because caking collectively, Europe is um, obviously our largest trading partner. The Canada and Mexico thing seems to have largely have been solved with USMCA. One could have asked the same question, was the light worth a candle in terms of all of that drama, because most of the things we got in USMCA were frankly in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which I spent so many years working on um, uh, in my government service. Um, But it was helpful, and that's put to the side. And so I think the next big dog in the room is going to be how we interact with Europe and the EU, and as a part of that, obviously, um, with the United Kingdom I was going to say,
3: with the UK, I mean, that to me becomes one of the more interesting uh, conversations Not the least of which, because you've got Trump versus Johnson, or Trump and Johnson together. Uh, Talk about a couple unpredictable guys. Although I would
2: say, Jason, that don't forget um, both our economy and their economies are open economies. Yes. And so our issues are incremental issues. We don't have substantive tariffs between our two countries. We have broad-based open markets and market access for our companies. The United Kingdom is a huge investor in the U.S. and vice versa. So clearly, while there are things to do, yeah, um, uh, there's not kind of the big tall trees to chop down. Right. Stefan,
1: I have to ask you: Are we as a nation being left behind because we are pursuing rather than multilateral, mu- multilateral, you know, trade um, deals and doing bilateral, especially with a country like? China in terms of its role in this global economy, are we making a big mistake that's going to hurt us for years to come? Because I do feel like China is exploring multilateral agreements around the globe. They are, and they're
2: doing their own version of the TPP, the RCEP. Correct. Um, uh, The one thing I would say, Carol, is it's hard to leave the United States out of any global commercial economic discussion, given the size and strength and importance of our economy. Even
1: Even though it feels like we're pulling back?
2: Well, what I would say is we're not going to be, to use your phrase, left out. Is it going to cost us growth? Might it cost us jobs? I think the answer to that is yes. Um, And I think equally as importantly, what is going to be the impact to peace and prosperity globally? So don't forget this system that we've created since World War II has led to the longest period of time without a major Um, a major power conflict. It has led to a period of time where we brought more people out of poverty around the world uh, because of this global integration. And the question is, how is that going to slow down? And what is going to be the ancillary knock-on effects to the U.S. that aren't just narrowly commercial and economic? All right,
3: Love having you here. Love catching up with you. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Stefan Selig, Managing Partner, Bridge Park Advisors, and of course, former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, at the Department of Commerce.